from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Last week, the St. Louis political world experienced an earthquake after Board of Aldermen President Louis Reed, Alderman Jeffrey Boyd, and former Alderman John Collins Muhammad were indicted on federal corruption charges. And after initially saying he would stay in his post, Reed announced his resignation, setting off an unlikely domino effect that thrust a Southside alderman into a citywide position. On this special edition of Politically Speaking, Rachel Lipman and Kayvon Mansouri join me to talk about the impact of these indictments, how the indictment spree includes a St. Louis County official, and what the events of the past few days mean for St. Louis politics. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. I am shocked. Uh, I never thought a day like this would come. Well, shock and a little disappointed that we found out about it through the news that normally they would send a letter to the uh, Board of Aldermen. I've spent the last several days um, dealing with phone calls from the media, from my constituents. That is Alderman Brandon Bosley, Alderman Joe Vaccaro, and Alderman Shane Cohn reacting to the resignation of now former Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed, who was indicted on federal corruption charges last week along with Jeffrey Boyd and John Collins Muhammad. Hello, I'm Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio, and this is a special edition of Politically Speaking, where we're going to be breaking down the news that has sent shockwaves throughout the St. Louis political ecosystem. But I'm not going to do this by myself because in studio we have Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio justice and local politics reporter. And making his uh, politically speaking debut, by the way, Kayvon Mansouri, uh, investigative reporter with the Midwest Newsroom. Who, who wants to start off by saying what exactly happened in the city of St. Louis last week? Well, it's basic pay to play. Is, is how you would explain it. It is a 66-page indictment including, inclu, uh, accusing these three aldermen, Reed, Boyd, and John Collins Muhammad, of exchanging cash and other gifts in exchange for helping a small business owner get access to development incentives, tax abatement specifically, and then get a pretty good deal on a piece of city-owned property that he then wanted to develop. There are also our campaign, there's campaign contributions that were exchanged, cars, iPhones, etc. And yes, eventually this legislation giving abatement to this gas station property was eventually approved and the sale of the LRA property at this discounted rate went through. Kayvon, how did federal prosecutors find out about this? So basically over the past uh, few years, it appears, there was a, uh, it appears to be some, uh, an individual who was working with the government wearing a wire, 
Um, and many of those conversations were recorded. Uh, so many text messages between uh, this John Doe character um, and these three aldermen were uh, part of the indictment. And basically, that's how a lot of this information came to light. And that was a lot of those conversations were included in the indictment as well. Here's Hal Goldsmith with the U.S. Attorney's Office explaining a little bit further about how this investigation unfolded. That undercover investigation included the cooperation of a number of witnesses, the undercover recordings of literally hundreds of meetings and telephone calls, court-ordered search warrants and phone orders, uh, the review of thousands of text messages and email communications, as well as all traditional surveillance techniques. Rachel, it, it seems like something was going down, so to speak, when John Collins Muhammad suddenly resigned, posted something on his Twitter apologizing for something. And apologizing for mistakes he has made and saying that things were going to be difficult and asking for prayers for his family. So, so yeah, I, I have a friend actually in, in Chicago who, when I retweeted that with some comment on like, oh, wow, this is going to mean another election, his first response, and again, this is coming from an individual in Chicago, was what did he do? But what was the reaction from Jeffrey Boyd and Lewis Reed immediately after the indictments came out? Well, they made their first appearance in court, all three of them, on the same day. And, uh, you you know, you'll see the photos on our website. Jeffrey Boyd just kind of put himself into Zen and walked out of the courthouse as individuals are in his face asking him questions. Will he step down? Will he resign, et cetera? Lewis Reed just seemed like he could not help himself. He stopped to talk to reporters and, you know, made comments of, I'm not going to resign. I didn't do anything wrong. Neither of them resigned immediately. Boyd resigned sooner than Lewis Reed did. Indeed, there was like kind of this limbo period when Reed had not resigned but had turned over some of his presiding duties to Alderman Joe Vollmer, who we're going to talk about later in the show. And eventually he did end up stepping down. And this is what St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones had to say the, the day after that happened. While I wholeheartedly believe that people are innocent until proven guilty, I also recognize, and I think our city does too, that the disturbing federal corruption charges brought against Lewis Reed, Jeffrey Boyd, and John Collins Muhammad prevented them from doing the job that they were elected to do, to faithfully serve this, the residents of St. Louis. Rachel, you were at this press conference. What was your takeaway from what Jones had to say? Reed and Boyd have been political foils to Mayor Jones for years. Uh, Boyd first challenged one of his first uh, citywide races was to challenge Tashara Jones for treasurer. He lost that race. He then made some mischief on the board of aldermen with her budget as chair of the part of the committee that oversaw the treasurer's budget because the treasurer is in charge of parking. Lewis Reed had presented a foil to her at the board of aldermen for her agenda. So. She didn't want to gloat, and she actually very explicitly said that indictments are hard on everyone, on the family of those who are uh, sent to prison. And she's speaking from experience here in this clip. When politicians break the law to serve themselves instead of the people they were elected to serve, everyone loses. Everyone, including political opponents and the families of those indicted. I understand firsthand what it's like to keep loving someone unconditionally, even as they face consequences for their actions. That's a feeling families across St. Louis empathize with. Each day, I have taken time to pray for the families of those indicted, for those who have seen their futures thrown into limbo this past week. I know what it's like. So to all who are listening, Please give grace 
and pray for those who are suffering through no fault of their own. And what Mayor Jones is alluding to is the fact that her father, former St. Louis Comptroller Vervis Jones, ended up going to prison based off of some wrongdoing in the 1990s. That's correct. Yeah. So she very clearly has empathy for the families that are caught up in this. But it was hard to listen and not think that she was maybe a little bit gloating, a little bit excited about the fact that two of her biggest political foils have now been removed from the scene. Now, the demise of Boyd and Collins Muhammad was interesting to me because these were both African-American figures who forged pretty key alliances with conservative white aldermen. I mean, we've all seen the tweet from John Collins Muhammad threatening to like ravage somebody's ward who, uh, if they if they messed with Joe Vaccaro, which he said was a hack tweet or whatever. Which it eventually reported was not, but. but and then also Boyd in was, was friends with a lot of Southside aldermen too. Uh, how do you think they're how do you think they were perceived on the board and what do their departures mean? Well, their departures mean that you've lost a lot of institutional knowledge, first of all. You've lost a chair of a very powerful committee, the Housing and Urban Development. So that just leads to a lot of internal switching and, and turmoil at the board. But it also, you know, reduces the power of this more conservative versus progressive caucus at the board just in terms of sheer numbers. Uh, The individuals who are going to be filling out these terms will serve at most six months until the March and April elections. So it's just going to make the political maneuvering and compromises that you're going to have to do at the board of aldermen a lot more difficult. They're going to have to reach out to people they may not have to put legislation through. And there are some aldermen who are basically saying no longer can Lewis Reed use the control he has of Board of Aldermen procedure, essentially, to make up rules on the fly to benefit his faction. So Shane Cohn was actually the one who called it kind of a clean start for the city. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I've always not liked calling people progressive or conservatives is because the alliances and who's with who in St. Louis changes so dramatically. Like John Collins Muhammad and Lewis Reed were at certain points in time seen as anti-establishment political figures. Like in 2013, Lewis Reed was the Tashara Jones of today. That's true. He by, was challenged by, Mayor Francis Light. Yeah. But I think that the very public split between Reed and white progressives happened in 2015 when he signed on to a failed plan to build a riverfront stadium aimed at keeping the Rams. I think that that was a huge moment for politics, even though the stadium never materialized. And probably wasn't going to materialize, no. let's be honest. But how do you think that that schism impacted the city's political trajectory? That's a really good question. Um, I think it was the first time where you did see serious pushback on putting at the political level for putting public investment into these private facilities. There was some pushback when Bush Stadium 2 was or Bush Stadium 3, I guess, was built in 2006 in some of the taxing districts. But it wasn't as widespread as it would later become. And it actually impacted going forward the deal for the soccer stadium. It had to be renegotiated and changed from its original proposal. So I think it it um impacted and turned more scrutiny to the way that the city participates in private business. And I think as we've seen through the indictment, additional scrutiny and how the city participates in private business may not necessarily be the worst thing in the world. What do you think Reed's legacy will be? Because, you know, he was in office for a long time. You know, he lost three bids for mayor, but he won four terms to the Board of Aldermen presidency, including a really difficult campaign in 2019. 
I know a lot of people really don't like him for various reasons, but clearly he had enough support to win citywide office several times. What do you he think? He had enough support where he needed to have the support, I think. Um, for those who he was allied with and agreed with him, uh, you know, there's probably going to be some notion of, especially if we compare and see how Reed as a black man is treated compared to Steve Stanger. Right. Who was and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not to interrupt you. But let's keep in mind that Steve Stanger was pleaded guilty to stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars and giving it to somebody else, which seems like a lot less money than these three are alleged to have taken as bribes, Kayvon. It, yeah, much, yeah, I don't much remember larger. the numbers, I mean, but yeah. The totals of, of these, the amounts that they, they ended up you know, agreeing to were very small in comparison. And what we're talking about thousand dollar payments you know i think i think the the largest would probably be the car that john collins muhammad yeah <laughs> you know, that accepted i think but these are, are pale in comparison the reason i bring that up is steve stanger went into a courtroom said he was addicted to some undetermined substance and eventually was able to get out of jail well before his sentence was up like <laughs> Why shouldn't why shouldn't see, why shouldn't yeah. these three be held to the same standard as Steve Stanger? And that is going to uh, come up obviously in the courtroom. But the you know indictment, the charges laid out aside before sentencing. I think we are quite a bit away from sentencing unless there's conversations going on for a quick plea here. You're going to have his supporters and those he was allied with who are probably going to see may see him as the victim in this situation that he just happened to get caught by a businessman maybe trying to save his own skin and his opponents are going to see him as someone who was impeding progress to the city. So a lot of it is going to depend on which side of those factions that you fell on at any given point in time. So let's move on to St. Louis County, where there was also drama over indictments. Um, Kayvon, can you explain what happened? Yeah, the, the shockwaves continued um, this week. Uh, as you know, a, a, a Sam Page uh, appointee uh, in St. Louis County, uh, Anthony Weaver, Tony Weaver as he's known, uh, he's administrator at the county jail, was also indicted, uh, seemingly uh, somewhat connected with the other indictments. It's, if you look, there's some breadcrumbs that the John Smith in the county indictment is the John Doe in the city indictment. Certainly, yeah. So, uh, you know, I believe... On Monday, uh, that indictment came down. Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. Monday? Sorry, it, it, what, what is time anymore? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that indictment came down. And basically, uh, this this was basically a scheme for kickbacks from COVID relief, um, which, you know, is, is going to land you in some trouble. Basically, Weaver had been going out to many businesses throughout the county and sort of um, proposing like, hey, let's let's get some money from this this COVID relief that's coming down, and it just so happens um, that uh, while he was unsuccessful in almost all of them, uh, in, in in this one it uh, seems this individual was also wearing a wire, um, and the and that's where these uh, charges and this indictment is coming from. So just to be clear, none of these businesses actually got any COVID relief money. I right? believe one did. Okay, uh, and and for his part, uh, it, one or, or or just a few, and for his part, he was given about three hundred dollars, which in the indictment he is clearly <laughs> not happy. He about. is not happy about, it. and he and he makes it known, and 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 uh, you know, as you can see in the indictment, he discussed with uh, with uh, the individual, the businessman who was wearing the wire. Um, or, or however that information was gathered, um, that he was not happy about that, and they he wanted more, much more discussion about how much money he was going to be getting. I think there's a quote along the lines of him saying, 
you know, St. Louis, there's all this money in St. Louis County. We've got to get some of that for us. And and, and the businessman is the one who sort of initiates this conversation. Right. If I'm remembering correctly, he's like, what did this other individual give you? And Weaver is just like, man, it was just 300. All like he's calls. very clearly and, like, yeah. And, and he gets further into it. You know, when the when he and, and the uh, businessman are having this conversation, he'd say something along the lines of, um, you know, were you closed at all during the, the height of the pandemic? He'd be like, not even for a second. He's like, well, we don't want to put that in the application. That, that's not what, what, what we want to include. So it's not even just that he was going to be taking kickbacks mm-hmm. for helping them apply. Is that he, it was, he was falsifying these applications right. because none of these businesses actually had impacts from coronavirus closures. Now, as we mentioned, Weaver not previously had worked as an administrative aide to now former councilwoman Rochelle Walton Gray and had been working as an appointee of St. Louis County Executive Sam Page in the Justice Center. Here is Page reacting to this indictment. Uh, Yesterday, a county employee was indicted. Um, uh, I terminated him immediately upon learning about the indictment. Um, That uh, sort of behavior will never be tolerated in county government. I am uh, happy to hear that the processes we put into place uh, stopped um, any, um, any plan or scheme to file false applications with the county and to defraud the county government of COVID funds. Now, for a little bit of context here, Weaver is part of a political faction in St. Louis County that's headed up by former state representative Albert Walton. And Page has allied with this faction since becoming county executive as he hired Weaver's former boss, Rochelle Walton Gray, after she lost re-election to Shalonda Webb. And, and also hired Weaver. And also hired Weaver. And if we want to get really into the weeds. Uh, That's what this podcast yeah, is for. Weaver <laughs> actually ran against Shalonda Webb's husband, Steve Webb, unsuccessfully for state representative. So there is a lot of bad blood between the Webbs and the Walton political faction. Rachel, what do you think the fallout for Page is here? A lot of it is going to depend on how he is able to separate himself from Weaver's actions when he was an aide to a page ally. These allegations are back from, I think, March to December of 2020 is the time period here. This is when Weaver was still an employee of Rochelle Walton Gray. He did not work for County Executive Page at the time. But you know, and they already have, that his opponents are going to be saying, oh, well, this is, you know, corruption on Page's watch. And it's a question of whether He's going to be able to emphasize that these processes that he put in place, as he claims, caught the fraud. How are some of Page's not non-allies on the county council reacting <laughs> I think to it's this? fair to call him his political enemies on the county council. I was going to say non-allies <laughs> or not allies, but that doesn't really seem, it seems like enemies is a better word. A political opponents, political enemies, however you want to phrase that. So not surprisingly, they are, you know, connecting this as Page is a corrupt politician in the same way as, council, as uh, former county executive Steve Stanger was. Mark Carter has already said that he will ask for a non-binding resolution calling on the state to all uh, Uh, to explore and evaluate all of the county council's COVID spending. There is also the possibility, I've heard, seen no indications that this will happen, but there is a possibility that his opponents could band together and demand an audit of COVID spending from the state. We'll be right back after this quick break with this special edition of Politically Speaking. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Rachel Lippman and Kayvon Mansouri talking about indictment Orama in St. Louis. So let's talk about how these indictments affect politics and policy going into the future. So I think one of the most fascinating parts of this 
is that Reed's resignation did not lead to the next in line becoming board of aldermen president, but the person behind that the next in line because Boyd was next in line. That is true. So and seniority rules. <laughs> and so the person that is now board of aldermen president is Joe Volmer. And this was the question that I asked him right after Reed's resignation became public. I, I, I got to ask this question because I've talked with some of your colleagues. Do, do you want to be president of the board of aldermen? It's not, it's not a job I, w- I would ever seek. I am taking this responsibility till November 8th. Uh, there will be a special election. I will not be running for the board president November 8th. By the way, congratulations to Adele Todd Rosenbaum. You have made your first <laughs> appearance on Politically Speaking. I'm pretty sure she is the youngest Politically Speaking guest appearance we have ever had. Uh, Rachel, how do you think Volmer will be able to handle the role of Board of Aldermen President? The Board of Aldermen President is it's a difficult role. There is a lot of procedure that you have to know to keep the meetings running smoothly. Um, and, you know, for all of Reed's failings, when you've been in that role long enough, you are able to do the procedure kind of second nature. Um, But Volmer is a very affable, funny, likable guy. Um, He comes off, he's a business owner on the hill. He owns Milo's Bocce Bar. He's got the, you know, bartender vibe kind of of, to him. (laughs) (laughs) An endorsement for Milo's Wings from Gavon Mansory. So, and the fact that he doesn't want this job full time means that it's not for him a stepping stone. He's perfectly content to go back to be 10th ward or whatever ward. He he'll told be me he after. is going to run for 5th ward alderman. 5th ward, which would be his new wait, ward. I don't know what. I assume it takes in part of South St. Louis, but continue. I would assume it does too. Yeah, it's it's going to be rough procedurally as he gets used to how the meetings roll. It's especially difficult when you're on Zoom. You can't catch someone's eye for a hint easily as to where you need to go next. They've been in and out of the chambers because of COVID. Yes, procedurally, it's probably going to be rough. It's not going to go as smooth, especially as you start getting major legislation coming forward, the budget, et cetera. But I think from a standpoint of relationships on the board and just sort of the mood of the board, it's going to be fine and better. Here's more of my interview with Volmer. Well, I, well, I'm still stunned by the fact that this, you know, these are two, two men I worked with for almost 20 years. and I, I can't believe they're involved in, in this situation. It's, not, it's something I could never, ever imagine. Uh, that that in itself has been the most stunning part of it. Taking on a job such as this for a, a short period, you know, I, I was raised to you know accept responsibilities as they come. So I'll adapt to it and make sure. You know, my main purpose, I believe, right now is to try and restore integrity uh, in the in the minds of people uh, about the board of aldermen. You know, it's it's uh, it's all about giving. You know. What's what's occurred has been it's devastating. You know, it's been devastating to me mm-hmm. uh, to, to see these that this occur to the and, and for it to to be someone in the general public. I, I can't imagine their thoughts. Volmer is clearly part of the faction that has clashed with more quote unquote progressive aldermen. But I have talked to a lot of members of the board of aldermen who are kind of across different factions. And all of them seem to really like Volmer and think that he would be capable of doing this job temporarily. 
Is that kind of your impression too, Rachel? I think so. And I think a lot of it too is that Reed has made a lot of enemies at the board of aldermen with some of the actions that he've taken. And some of them were, you know, directed seems to be occasionally personally, not just, you know, political factionism, but personal attacks. Take, for example, when he went on the Bob Romanek show and did not say anything when uh, the late Bob Romanek called Megan Green. Uh, a word we aren't allowed to say on the radio because of FCC requirements. Mm-hmm. Whereas Volmer may have had his political alliances, but he never did it personally. He kept that, you know, he's an affable, I think genuinely likable guy. And I agree that the fact that he doesn't want this job permanently means that, you know, he's taking this responsibility but doesn't want to use it to advance his career. And here is Alderwoman Annie Rice, who is not part of the same political faction as Volmer, but definitely is in the camp of rather having him be Board of Aldermen president than Reed. Our, our politics may differ in perspective, um, you know, at times, if not often. Um, but I do think there's there's a general respect for him as being able to, you know, to run and to not tolerate, you know, kind of, nonsense that can happen with an elected body and you know I think it may be a good steady hand and I think one of the things to remember is that Volmer was the, in charge of the Ways and Means Committee, which handles the budget. That's a lot of negotiating that you have to do. And perhaps even more importantly to this, he handled the map. He handled the committee that redrew the legislative map from 28 to 14. And while there was a lot of behind the scenes nonsense with you know public hearings, comments, etc., eventually almost everyone voted for that map, including some who you know got drawn into wards with other people. No. Yeah, not to get into a redistricting discussion here, but in the pantheon of redistricting, St. Louis's would honestly make the Hall of Fame as far as success goes, because all the other redistrictings in Missouri were colossal failures. <laughs> One of the weirdest things about this is... There's be- a lot of weird things yeah, about this. Yeah, but <laughs> a particular strange thing about this is there's going to be a special election to fill reed's term in november which goes until april 2023 but then there's another election next year so who would actually want to run in november for this job um somebody who sees it as a low-risk proposition because remember you can run for this job and hold on to your aldermanic seat so if you are a sitting alderman and you want higher office you don't have to decide whether between running for an aldermanic seat or for board of aldermen president which is the decision that you'd have to make in april in april because of redistricting everybody is up everybody has to make the decision whether they want to run for board of aldermen president or whether they want to run for their aldermanic seat in the new wards you run in the special in November, you're running as a sitting alderman. You have a fallback seat to get into. And if you win, you are the incumbent going into April. Now, I wouldn't just assume that it's just going to be a member of the Board of Aldermen that wants this. There are a lot of state legislators who may be interested in this. There could be citywide officials that could be interested in this. I've heard there this. are at least five alder people considering it. So and, it and could I've, be chaos. And I've but... heard that my state senator, Carla May, may be interested in it, maybe in March or April when she wouldn't have to be on the ballot again. And she would be a very formidable candidate. But let's talk about the longstanding changes to city government. Kayvon, one thing that I saw was that the St. Louis Development Corporation paused the sales of LRA properties. Was that related to the scandal, unrelated to the scandal? So it's not clear. That that 
sort of process it appears uh, began before all of this happened. If it maybe uh, sped things up a little bit, that's possible. But, you know, in the indictment, uh, former alderman uh, Boyd was basically in contact with the LRA about this property on Geraldine uh, and, you know, Basically, the property ended up going for this super cut rate, very, very low. I believe it was valued at something like two hundred and fifty thousand, and sold for like forty thousand. I don't remember if it was that big of a gap, but it certainly it was, was quite a distance between what the LRA, the city's land bank, was hoping to get for it right. and what was ultimately offered. And it, and it was, you know, basically there was a lot of back and forth between Boyd um, and, and and the LRA, and and this businessman was involved in that. And that's something where we're looking into to kind of see get more of an idea of what those conversations really included but uh yeah basically lra is they're going to put a halt on those for a while probably probably for good good reason um but it's not exactly clear that 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 it was because of this i mean that's i'm going to lean towards true true Mm -hmm. and unrelated because that's i feel like something where you would have had to be speaking to people looking for lra properties letting them know Mm -hmm. ahead of time and the fact that there's already a set time frame for it it's july through october and it is part of sort of a revisioning of sldc this isn't happening within just the vacuum of this indictment it's happening within the vacuum of there's a new administration in office Important to note, just a few months ago, Laura Costello, who who led that uh, organization for a long time, or at least the LRA, was let go. Uh, there have been other sort of turmoil there. So uh, the new, yeah. the there's a new director right. there now yeah. too. A lot of different, a lot of things changing there. So it's hard to say. Now another thing that I've heard from Alderman Bill Stevens is a moratorium of sorts on development incentives, and that idea, I guess in general, did not get a great reaction from everybody. Here, for example, is my conversation with Alderwoman Shamim Hubbard, who is the Alderwoman for the 26th Ward. Because I don't want us to be, you know, distracted and not get the work done and continue the work that needs to be done. Um, I do, I did hear, but I haven't seen a resolution um, that somebody, one of my colleagues is probably putting out to put a, to stop. put a hold on all incentives and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't know that I'm, I'm in support of that um, because, again, some of this work needs to continue to ha- to be done. I, I understand getting stuff looked at, especially if, um, you know, in certain areas, but I don't think that we got to continue to work. We can't just stop because of stuff like this. You know, that's how I feel. Now, I certainly understand the impulse of maybe pausing developmental incentives, but when surrounding jurisdictions in St. Louis County, St. Charles, Jeffco, Lincoln County, whatever, are doing all sorts of tax incentives, is it really a good idea for the city of St. Louis to unilaterally disarm? What you have to remember is that most of the bills for tax incentives and tax abatement that go through the city of St. Louis are not for major projects. It is for a one-off residential or a one-off small gas station or a one-off, you know, you're rehabbing a house and want to keep the value down for a little bit to let it regain in value. So we're not talking about right now, you know, in a couple of years, maybe a huge, you know, Target wants to build, Steel Coat wants to build, uh, this is the big development that's uh, over at Grand. 
Grand and um, what mm. is that? Shoto Compton Shoto, I think, Shoto, right by St. Louis yeah. University. Yeah, and St. Louis yeah. already has a Target. It's St. Louis right. Hills. Yes, it's but great. they're putting they're putting. Why, do, why does there need to be two? <laughs> because it's right closer to St. Louis <laughs> University, yeah. obviously. But again, most of the development projects that get these incentives in the city of St. Louis are not these big Target stores. And Stevens's plan is not to halt ones that are already been vetted or going through this process. He wants to say, hey, let's put a pause on future incentives. Maybe he has said on Twitter providing some carve outs for affordable housing projects that are seeking incentives or other, you know, off ramps where projects as uh, Alderwoman Hubbard referenced need to go forward. But putting a pause and saying, let's really and truly evaluate how we are using these incentives. Now, Alderman Joe Vaccaro told me that another idea is requiring separate votes on tax incentive deals. And he's admitted that he's voted for a lot of tax abatements. But he added that aldermen may be less amenable to them if they have to vote for them in isolation rather than perfection consent, basically. What, what do you think of this idea? I mean, I think any time that you have to justify an individual vote, it can make people scrutinize a project a little bit more. Um, selfishly, that's just going to make the meeting take a heck of a lot longer if you have to vote on all of these in isolation. But from the perspective of scrutinizing and paying attention to the individual bills, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. If you have to vote individually on everything, it could be as the county council does it, where it's a voice vote up or down on individual bills as they move through the perfection calendar. But No, they, they vote on every bill in isolation. They do vote on every bill every in isolation. One. It's true. And I mean, they have a lot less legislation coming through because a lot of what can be handled there that the city level gets handled by the municipalities at the county level. But, you know, yes, selfishly, is it going to make the meeting take a lot longer? Yes. Would they have to perhaps change some policies where it's you request comment on a bill as it is in the county rather than, you know, assuming that there will be discussion on the bill potentially. But from the perspective of scrutinizing development incentives, I don't think it would be the worst idea. Yeah, you know, and I, I think more oversight just in general. I mean, if you go back and watch um, the conversation about the tax abatement that was given on uh, the property, I believe at uh, Von Fool. Uh, yeah, Von Fool. The conversation basically was like there was no questions asked. It was a congratulations, looking forward to that business. I mean, that's not oversight. That's not taking a good look at it. So, you know, maybe if there are more older people involved, that that would be the answer. But in, in general, there just needs to be some more because these are, you know, at the end of the day, this money is going to you know, public schools and things like that. So there needs to be some some more conversation. And I certainly didn't want to be dismissive when we were talking about what these projects are, what these incentives are for in oh, terms yes, of dis right. unilaterally disarming on these big projects. There are certainly impacts downstream mm -hmm. of TIFs and tax abatements. But in the grand scheme of things, most of the time what the city is handing out these incentives for are smaller scale projects. Now, the, the last point I want to hit on is another proposal that's been floated by Alderwoman Annie Rice of setting up a charter commission that can look at different facets of city government. Having followed the board of aldermen for a long time, it is very noticeable that individual aldermen actually have a lot of power and responsibility over things that could hypothetically be handled by an executive branch agency. And this is a, a struggle that a lot of aldermen and alderwomen and I have talked about is the balance between legislating and constituent services. And could an emboldened or more well-funded executive branch 
provide city services better and allow them to focus on legislating, scrutinizing these major things, leaving, you know, these aldermanic courtesy, you know, kind of you approve this because you're the alderman, even if it doesn't matter off the table and changing that mindset a little bit. Kayvon, before we sign off, do you have any other things you're looking for in this story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we continue, you know, obviously, I think everyone's wondering, are there more indictments coming? I think that's the that's the question on everyone's mind right now. That's something that, you know, we're looking into. And especially who are these public officials that are that are involved in these indictments that aren't named? Um, these are questions we want to we want to find out. And then there's there's a lot of, you know, just kind of shoe leather journalism going on trying to figure that out. So they, there's lots of questions. I think there's a, a big conversation about tax abatements in the city that needs that needs to happen you know in in KC uh, where where I do a lot of reporting as well you know there's the same sort of uh, same sort of stuff going on and in some cases the same actors uh, you know for instance Lux Living has many tax abatements in St. Louis and they're they're seeking many in um, in Kansas City as well so I, I think there's a big conversation to be had well thank you Kayvon and Rachel for joining me on this special episode of Politically Speaking Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow all of our stories at stlpr.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at... R. Lipman, two Ps, two Ns. Kayvon, how can people find you on Twitter and find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kayvon Mansori, uh, at K-A-V-A-H-N, and that will be the only one on Twitter, so you can just go look for that. <laughs> and uh, you can find the rest of our work at uh, Midwest Newsroom. Just Google us or look for us for on a St. Louis Public Radio's website, KCUR's website, Kansas City Public Radio, or any of the others. Uh, we cover all uh, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, and Kansas, and we do investigative work in the public's interest. We'll be back next time, and until then, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.